God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcus Ortega, one of your regular co-hosts, and with me, as always, is the amazing Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? You know, I'm I'm doing well. We're having another unseasonably warm day. I don't know what's going on. Man, it's incredible. Like, here's the thing. Normally, we're recording these like four weeks or so in advance. We're actually recording this. It's Monday, and it comes out tomorrow, right? right. So everybody who lives up in the north is in shorts, hanging out in t-shirts, <laughs> enjoying this wonderful 70-degree November weather. I don't know what's going on, but it is beautiful. Um, yeah. And, yeah. of course, you know, because of my pol- my politics, I can't say it's climate change. No, don't do that. <laughs> no. But that's a nice segue, Lisa. Well done. Um, we are talking today about the week we just had. Um, we're taking a quick break, quick detour from our series that we've been doing this whole season on uh, issues of justice, racism, all of that. Um, while those might be issues in the background, we're not really going to talk about them much today. We are talking about the 2020 presidential election. And Lisa, I'm going to kick to you because I, to be honest, I'm doing this with fear and trepidation. Uh, I feel like it's something we should talk about. But it's it's a hard thing to talk about right now. It it is, and especially because you have Christians across the spectrum, and not just across the spectrum, but it's God forbid if you're on one side and you see that Christian on the other side, and you're like, how in the world could you vote for that platform or that person, or even celebrate that platform or that person? Um, and so it's, yeah, it, it's been a very, um, I would say, sobering week, especially because the results weren't known right away. Yeah. And so we had days yeah. of, of projecting and marinating and in some case, hope, you know, hoping and praying and, you know, watching and waiting. Um, and, and at the same time, taking that opportunity from what I saw on social media to attack people and particularly Christians who do, who do not agree with you. Yeah. The attacking has been intense. Um, and, and here's what I think we need to do to start because I think we have to have the right frame, like right from a mind, the right heart in this, because it is a difficult conversation to have in the current climate. I think we need to start with prayer. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And then at the end, Lisa, I'm going to ask you to pray for us. And, 
And the reason we want to bracket this in prayer is because I wonder personally if we prayed more, if we would attack less. <laughs> and so um, we could hope. Let's hope that that would work. Let me pray, and then uh, and then I just want to ask kind of your initial reaction. So let's let's pray first. God, um, we come humbly to you because you are the God who has, uh, you are the one who raises up kings and tears down kings. You are the sovereign Lord of the universe, and whatever happens in the United States does not happen in your blind spot, but you are in control. You are on your throne throughout this, and Lord, we pray that our conversation today would reflect that reality, that it would bring comfort to those who are hurting, that it would uh, maybe moderate the celebration over earthly things. Lord, would we be about you and your kingdom before we're about any kind of political party or politician? Lord, would we be about Christ before the election? Um, it feels elementary to pray that, Lord, but so often we get those things reversed. So we pray, would you guide this conversation? Would it honor you? Would we honor one another well as we have this conversation? Would we honor our listeners while we pray in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. All right. So let's start with, you know, what was, how, what was your initial reaction? I don't know what day we start with because of how long this thing went. But Well, you know, we start reaction? with election night. <laughs> and we had, you know, we went, what, almost a week before oh, we man. And, and what happened in between that was kind of interesting. And I thought my initial reaction was, well, gosh, how fitting is this <laughs> election for everything 2020 has been? I don't know why we would ex have expected anything different. Oh, man. I could, was it going to be a 10 p.m. call? Really? Was that really what was going to happen in 2020? Oh, yeah, no. man. No, um, but I think that also my reaction, and, and you know, hats off to you because you called it right. There were there were pundits uh, and posters. Uh, you know, the the whole poster business. Yeah, I think that's probably another topic for another day. <laughs> but you called it. You said we we agreed. The conversation we had offline before our last recording was it's going to be a close race. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can just look at the, the temperature, uh, especially if you're on social media. You know, you look at the temperature of the country and think there's no way nobody's winning, winning by a landslide. Um, and so I was actually surprised that people were surprised that mm. either party wasn't winning by a landslide. More so on the, I, I saw it more on um, the Biden side. But I thought, we're not, are we really paying attention to what's going on and the deep division that wow. has not only racked this country, but has seeped into the church? Yeah, you know, uh, where I was wrong is I thought it was all coming down in North Carolina. It actually turned out to be Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania after all. Much, but I thought it was going to be one <laughs> state and, uh, and not Nevada because I don't think Nevada's ever gotten to work. I think they they're still... Just, Still doing. <laughs> they were they were hitting the snooze button. Man. Oh man! Like <laughs> that I alarm clock went off, and time, they're like on the tenth snooze. Uh, like time works different in Vegas, I'm sure, but it doesn't work that different, does it? Is <laughs> and listen, and how is it for a state that is in the business of having businesses that count? 
They count for a living. <laughs> That's how they make their millions. Mind oh my goodness. But yeah, you know, it's it's a uh, man. It, it was a really strange week. Um, I feel like the whole country was effectively paralyzed for a couple days, just waiting. There was this uh, tension everywhere you went, not because one person was going to win and one person was going to lose. It was the unknown. Right. Um, we now have a declared winner. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, like I'll, I'll call, um, vice president Biden, president elect Biden, vice president elect Harris. I understand there are legal challenges. Um, and, and let me say this, president Trump has every right to pursue legal remedy. If he believes there was fraud, mm-hmm. like uh, if there's fraud, I want to know, right. Uh, I don't know why it has to be political to say, hey, we want to make sure everything was done right. Now, I haven't seen any evidence. I don't know. But um, my hope and kind of my reaction when it finally was all done was I hope we're able to accept the result. Yes. Um, because I, I, that's my hope. There yeah. are many who have, like it, there are, Organizations that were like they're conservative news organizations that have accepted the result. There are a few mm-hmm. outliers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few people who are outliers, but uh, probably more than a few. Well, it's one of the. I guess one of my, you know, we're going to get into what are you concerned about. Mm-hmm. I'll start with one of mine right now. I'm concerned that we have lost total and complete faith in the system. Mm-hmm. And that's death to democracy. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that the person who won legitimately won, then democracy is toast. And I'm really concerned that there are people who after the legal challenge, like if they're waiting until like the final time when the electors actually do their work and the legal challenges are done before they say, okay, then yes, that's what happened. Fine. But if, they're in this place where this election was fundamentally rigged. This election was fundamentally fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Man, to lose faith in our democracy like that is a concerning thing. Yeah. And it's also concerning uh, how quickly folks jumped on that charge, right? Mm. I mean, I, I read news outlets from across the board. So I don't, you know, just drink from one well if you will. And it was very interesting to me to see how quickly um, those charges were levied from sources on the right. And, you know, and even to the point where there's a, and even to, to, to this day, there's a prediction that those counts, because it was so fraudulent, it's going to be overturned. And then I look at sources on the left, you know, that or that lean left, and and you know, and there's sort of these logical explanations as to why this happened, why this glitch happened, what you know, what the court has said about these uh, um, ballots in, um, in in Pennsylvania, and what that and and the number that is actually actually going to impact which is negligible. I mean, my sense is that once the, um, you know, once these suits fall out, it's, if there is any change in numbers, 
uh, I think it's going to be negligible. I don't think it's going to um, change the outcome. But the bigger concern for me is how quickly we gravitate towards a narrative mm -hmm. that we buy, we buy into this partisan narrative that really it vilifies the other side, that anything of the other side has to be corrupt. Um, it has to be wrong. And, and because of that, we end up demonizing and, and dehumanizing our political opponents or those that we know don't vote like us, don't, um, you know, don't really um, have the same priorities, you know, in terms of, um, you know, why they vote a certain way. Um, and to me, that is more concerning. Yeah. Um, because even if, it, you know, and when, I would say even if and when, um, the, the final outcome is determined, I think that that general mood has not gone away. Mm. Um, and so we can expect that whatever has inspired this hyper-partisanship, it's just going to keep amping up. Um, and, and, you know, and so I think for those who are, you know, are relieved and glad that Biden is in office, I, I, I kind of get the sense that, okay, now the troubles are over. I don't think they are. Because we've seen the last four years have really revealed how deep that divide is um, and how how much we can stake our, you know, how our, our political lives, if you will, on partisanship as opposed to being members of the kingdom of God. I think you're right. I, I'm, you know, one of the things that the theory that this was stolen and fraudulent requires to have a very nefarious view of your neighbor mm -hmm. to say that those poll workers those volunteers those people working minimum wage temp jobs counting ballots were intentionally trying to destroy the united states mm -hmm. that's a profound statement to make about people who were trying to do their civic duty and, you know, I, I understand distrust of political establishments. I, I understand it. I know why people have that distrust of, of the parties and of the, you know, establishment Democrats, establishment Republicans. I understand why there's mistrust. My goodness, are you really going to mistrust the volunteer who was counting ballots? Is that how far we've gotten? And, and so I'm concerned about that. Now, on a policy standpoint, I also have concerns. Um, elections have consequences. So, you know, my biggest prayer is that we will see that this, this result is this result, um, mainly because I, I think it's going to be an absolute... If, if it is massive fraud that did this, oh my goodness, what is about to happen in this country? So I'm praying that it's not that. Um, and, uh, you know, so then it, we are in a place of... We, we have a transition, preferably a peaceful transition, um, and then some policies will change because of this election. Elections have consequences. Um, so I'm going to share first one of my concerns policy-wise, and I'll let you share yours. Um, my number one concern has to do with the fact that I'm pro-life. And I'm very concerned uh, about abortion policy in the United States now. Um, 
This comes a lot because I'm in New York and already has an incredibly liberal uh, abortion uh, policy. You know, I, I am I am hopeful that a more conservative Supreme Court might open the door towards challenging some abortion rulings or upholding some abortion rulings from some of the southern states who've done things like 20-week abortion bans and heartbeat mm. bills. And um, So I do see that there is a pathway to getting some change done now that we have a conservative court. That's, that's a good thing, and that's something that President Trump promised he would do and he came through on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the Supreme Court is going to be willing to do that. I do know now it's going to be very hard to get it done through legislation. And I'm, I'm one that believes legislation is the better way forward than the courts. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got four years of no momentum now in a pro-life direction and perhaps even more, um, uh, you know, even more restriction on groups like crisis pregnancy centers and stuff like that who are trying to do really good work and care for women. Um, so that's, you know, from a policy perspective. I am concerned for the next four years uh, about the abortion conversation. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I, I have a another set of concerns, but on that note, um, I think what, because I've heard arguments, but particularly for people who voted for, for Biden, about, you know, one, the fact that, you know, well, we haven't done anything legislatively about the, um, you know, about Roe v. Wade. So, and, and, and under, you know, public Republican administration. So what has changed? Another argument is that, well, you actually see less abortions under democratic uh, regime, which to me, it's like, yes, but what does the platform stand for? And we know, and particularly with the vice president elect, um, who is very progressive in this area, that it, it, it will foster not just um, not just from a legislative perspective, but more more so culturally, and make it more acceptable, make abortion more acceptable, and abortion up to birth. Yeah, you know, to 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 have that, and so that can actually start affecting legislation. So whereas you know you haven't really seen much movement on the other end. My concern on that is that you will see movement going yeah. in the opposite direction um, just because of what that what that platform brings. So yeah. you're right. I, I, I do think um, and, and, and in terms of the crisis pregnancy centers, especially the Christian based ones, and yeah. this ties into my concern, which has to do more with religious liberty mm. and the fact that Joe Biden said that he, in the first 100 days of office, that he will get pushed through the Equality Act. I don't, just based on what I've seen on social media, I don't know that, that you know, um, the Christians have really, read, you know, a lot of Christians have really read what the Equality Act is about. It, it's basically, um, so, you know, taking uh, anti-discrimination laws that were race-based and now including uh, sexual orientation, and basically, you know, it basically saying that if you cannot in any institution 
cannot discriminate against someone who is tra- is transgender or has a uh, sexual orient a same sex sexual orientation, and that and that does not exclude churches right. and Christian institutions. Right. So so now it's going to become harder. I think churches are going to be more vulnerable if that act passes. That churches are going to be more vulnerable to taking a position on mm-hmm. biblical sexual ethics. And and they you know that vulnerability will probably result in repercussions. Especially yeah. if there's um discrimination in hiring practices. Yeah. So that, you know, so that is very, that is very concerning to me. There is an argument. Uh, I think most prominently I've seen David French make this argument, um, that the equality act, um, will not violate protections for churches, um, that are protected by the first amendment. That's, Perhaps true. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't know constitutional law. The challenge is that the Equality Act will open up the opportunity for churches to get sued. Yes. The Equality Act opens up opportunities for nonprofits to get sued. And here's the thing. Most of these churches and nonprofits, they might win the legal battle. They'll lose their business. Their church will close. They can't afford to take this to the Supreme Court and have a First Amendment ruling happen on their behalf. And so I understand why people are concerned. Even if legally there's a First Amendment protection, the Equality Act opens up a whole lot of problems for churches and Christian nonprofits. It does lead me to this. I wish that that argument, I I heard that argument as well. Um, about why Christians were willing to vote for Biden. Um, My wish is that Republicans would take that argument away by when they have the power doing the work Mm -hmm. to actually take that argument away. Um, My goodness, the Democrats are acting. Why aren't the Republicans acting on this? Act. Pass the bills. Do the work. And... um, then it takes away that argument and and makes voting for the Republican candidate um, much more of the the I think consensus option for for Christians. Though not always, I think that's part of the calculus that people have to make. They have to make a calculus of how they're going to vote. And um, as Christians, there is a level of tolerating and loving one another that has to right. factor in there. And on that note, let me just say this. So when it comes to voting, I I love the word calculus because we have a plethora of issues Mm -hmm. that we have to consider, right? And we prioritize those issues. And by the way, can I say that moral issues that, so if you look at what's a moral issue from a Christian perspective, and I've said this before, I said this in season two, you're going to find issues on the right and issues on the left, right? Mm-hmm. Care for the unborn is a moral issue. Mm-hmm. Care for the church, these are the religious liberty, is a moral issue. Mm-hmm. Care for the, the foreigner is a moral issue. Care for the poor is a moral issue. They're all moral issues. Right. Now, how we work that out and what's the responsibility of government versus private citizens, 
we need to make that calculus. What I, what has disturbed me is that given the complexities of, of everything that we vote for, that we hinge it on this single issue. Now, I have heard people demonize those on the right that, you know, the single issue being abortion. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to comment on that now, but here's what I've seen on the other side. And particularly as we waited for this result, and because it was so close, there are people who actually couldn't believe that, how are you still voting for a racist? How are you still voting for white supremacy? Listen, there are a multiplicity of issues at stake in which we have to make a moral calculus. We're voting for a platform. Unfortunately, the person comes with a platform. So if you don't like the person, that creates a rub. But at the same time, we are making, you know, we're, we're listing a set of priorities. People aren't going to the, uh, uh, you know, to the ballot box and say, yeah, I want to uphold white supremacy. No. And I think as people, uh, we're supposed to be people of salt and light, right? That means we're people of truth. We're people that should be able to look at the world through the lens of regeneration, through the lens of scripture, and say, how, you know, how can we have a hand in making a difference, right? And that includes who we vote for. We just talked about the concerns about, and particularly those that fall on the right. You know, another thing about the Equality Act is that it is is going to be another tool in um, normalizing hom not just homosexuality but transgenderism and making it more acceptable to um, you know to have children go through sex change. Right. It's a, it's it, I don't know if you if you've ever read or heard the details that go into a sex change operation. We're talking about the mutilation of children. And you're going to tell me that white supremacy is the only factor in how we vote? We need to be more generous in how we look at our political um, opponents. And I don't even like the yeah. word opponents because when we're talking about members of the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's talk to each other. Let's find out, hey, what are your priorities and why from yeah. a biblical perspective? Yeah. Amen. And, and I think, you know, that one of the things I would say to those who are maybe having a little bit more of a celebratory response to this, don't lose sight of what comes along with President Biden. Don't lose sight of it. You're absolutely right. I, I don't. This might get me in trouble with some folks, but I'll get in trouble with them. Um, I don't know what thought process gets you to an eight-year-old gets to decide what gender they are. How do you get there? I'm sorry, but an eight-year-old shouldn't get to decide what they have for dinner, much less if they want gender reassignment surgery. And so there is uh, some serious concern that comes along with um, the the new Biden-Harris administration. I think we have to, as Christians, acknowledge that. And we have to then, this will get into our final thing, what do we hope for the church? We have to act prophetically. We have to speak out and say, this is not okay. Um, now, 
I also think that one of the pitfalls of Christians during this election season is the inability to see good things when there are good things. Yes. There are good things. You know, Barrett is a good Supreme Court justice nominee. Right? Now, people know where I'm coming from, but she's a good nominee. She's going to do a good job on the bench. At least I pray she does. Um, can we acknowledge the good things? The, the, the prison reform bill that President Trump got through mm-hmm. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like there are good things that happened. Mm-hmm. There are also good things that happen with the incoming Biden administration, or at least there are some things that give us hope. And so let me, um, let me just say the one thing that gives uh, me hope and then I'll, I'll kick it to you. And it actually doesn't have a whole lot to do with their platform right now. But this is incredibly personal, but I, I tell you what, there's something about uh, sitting there watching, because I, I want my children to be politically engaged, for my nine-year-old daughter to see a woman of color become the vice president matters. It matters. The history of this country, oh, it matters, man. I, my daughter got to see that as a young woman, as a child still. She got to see this. That means something. And I'm going to be happy about that. I don't have to like her politics or her platform. I don't have to agree with her. But for my kids to see that happen, that's good. And I'm happy about that. And so that there is something hopeful in that for me. Mm-hmm. My hope is that we can get back to a place of civility. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I've noticed in um, support of President Trump is a, you know, almost a rallying behind and excusing of his persona. Mm. Because, you know, he's not, he you know, he's not going to, um, you know, give you fake news. And he's even the one that came up with this term fake news, right? And it's, you know, it's the way, again, it goes back to the demonization of the other side. And I'm sorry, I have to say, and I think we have to be honest. Um, you know, we can't be so, we can't have our lenses so clouded by partisanship that we are unable or unwilling to acknowledge when something's wrong, when somebody says something wrong, when somebody does something wrong. Look, he may, he may be your guy, but if he fans flames if he sows seeds of division, then you know we need to we need to call that out and we need to call it like it is. And okay, be on you know be on the right, vote straight, ticket Republican all you want, but also be able to have critiques mm. when you know when they are appropriate. Mm. Um, and that's been you know that's been one of my you know because I know we're talking about hope, but that's another one of my concerns is that we are we've gotten so partisanship that we are almost disabled mm. from you know from from having some honest critique. So my hope is that maybe we'll you know get to a place of um, civility. You know, listen, I'll be honest. I when I listen to Biden's speech. It was such a difference of, 
you know, between listening to him and listening to our, our current president. You know, you have to shift, sift through, okay, I, you know, he kind of said that wrong, but okay, we're going to, you know, we're, 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 we're going to say, you know, what, what he meant was, but I didn't, I didn't hear that with Biden. It was, it was very, it was coming. It was soothing. And that doesn't take away from the platform that he brings. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. This mm -hmm. isn't a let's, let's dismiss the issues. Mm -hmm. But what I heard was a desire to work with others, a desire to lay down, lay down the swords. You know, I mean, I think, you know, there's only so much sword laying down you can do, particularly when you come with a, a particular platform of what that agenda is. And he's kind of made known already, you know, as he, he's assembled his transition team, um, what some of the issues that he, he's focused on. And so, yes, let's, you know, let, let's disagree. Let's be concerned. But at the same time, we got to find a way to work together. We got to find a way to listen to each other. I think that that has what we've witnessed the past few years have been, um, there's just not been a lot of listening, but there sure has been a lot of thrown, uh, stone throwing. Yeah. And, and I, I hope the same thing. I hope for civility. I hope, I, I don't know what the president-elect is going to do with his cabinet, but I hope there's Republicans in the cabinet, cabinet along mm -hmm. with Democrats. I, I hope that the rhetoric we heard appears in true concrete governing. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it will or won't. That's my hope. Mm -hmm. um, my hope is also, you know, my hope is for uh, immigration reform. My hope is for programs that are really going to help care for the poor and the outcasts. I, I do hope for that. And while I'm very concerned, as I've already said, about issues of uh, abortion and religious liberty, there are some hopes that I have in the platform um, that maybe we'll see some things happen. Um, you know, Biden didn't get it done as vice president on immigration reform. President Obama didn't get it done. Um, President Bush tried to get it done. He didn't get it done. My hope is that now we finally have a shot at this, but we'll see. Yeah. And, you know, and finally, I would say my hope and my priority in hopes is for the church. Mm -hmm. I think I personally believe, especially what I have witnessed this past week, that our lenses of how we live and operate Christianly in this world have been too clouded by politics and by partisanship. Um, we are citizens of another kingdom, a Amen. other cultural, other political kingdom. And yes, we are, we are United States citizens and we have to engage in a way that's, re that's responsible to that citizenship. But mm -hmm. our priority is to the kingdom of God is to the body of Christ. And the fact that we are so willing to toss our brothers and sisters in Christ aside because of voting preferences, because of politics, that to me has been very sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we need to, to uncloud our lenses and, and see clearly through the lens of scripture, through the lens of the kingdom. Amen. You know, I, I think of the church as well. Uh, I am, um, I'm not a politician. I'm not a 
social activist or analyst. I'm a pastor. I'm a churchman. Um, uh, my time is spent in my local church, in my presbytery, in my denomination. I love the church. And so I, my hope goes to the church as well. My hope for the church is that we would be who we've always been called to be. Be prayerful and be prophetic. I mean, we, we have to pray for our leaders. We have to honor our leaders. That is not a political statement. That is 1 Timothy 2. That is 1 Peter telling you to honor the emperor. <laughs> right. I am just quoting the Bible at y'all. Pray for your leaders. Honor your leaders. Um, I think, frankly, that Christians on the left have done a terrible job doing this with President Trump. I've hated the usage of 45 instead of President Trump. I've hated yes. seeing um, the U asterisked out when President Trump is used as if his name is a curse word. He's a human being as much as you disagree with him. And so I think that um, Christians have done a terrible job in uh, honoring Mm -hmm. President Trump, I pray that Christians don't make the exact same problem or that, the exact same mistake honoring President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. Um, and so I pray that we are a church of prayer, that we'd be praying for them, but also that we would be prophetic. I think the church was finally becoming prophetic on some social issues during the last four years. Um, we dare not ratchet that down because the issues have changed. The church ought to be prophetic to whoever's in power. And if it's issues of religious liberty and issues of life, it's time to, time to prophesy up, man. Uh, the church has a role in this. And we speak to both administrations of both parties because neither party is the kingdom. And we have a role as the church of speaking pro prayerfully and prophetically to the powers of the current age. And so... Uh, that's my prayer as a pastor. That is hard to do, man. Like, that is not easy. There were people who were uncomfortable just this weekend in church. It was a challenging weekend for a lot of mm. people. But we are called, commanded to be. This is Jesus commanding us. Be prayerful. Be prophetic. Do the work. Um, and so that's my, that's my final prayer for the church as well. Amen. All right. We've been going for a minute. Is there any last words that you have? I'm kind of done. Um, yeah, with my I, words. I think that I think landing at the priority of the church is a good place to to start, uh, or I'm sorry, a good place to stop. Um, and really, in doing some self examination, how much are we investing our hope in the political process, in the person who's occupying? the executive office or any political office because our hope is in Christ. Listen, Jesus is on the throne regardless of who is in office. God is sovereign. He's going to have his way. The Lord is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. And that's regardless of who is in office. And we need to stay anchored in him. Amen. Lisa, I wonder as we close, uh, I want to give you the final word. Would you pray us out? Absolutely. Lord, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your grace, Lord. Uh, but we really thank you for your mercy. Uh, Lord, we live in a messy and complex world. 
And we thank you that you have redeemed us. And with that redemption that you have given eyes, uh, you have given us eyes to see clearly. You have given us your authoritative word so that we can look at that, see who you are and how we are to live our lives and how we see the world. Lord, I pray, God, that our vision will become unclouded um, from partisanship and we will be able to see what you have commanded. We will be able to see your beauty. We will be able to see your character and we will be able to see how we may be salt and light in this world. Uh, we pray, uh, I echo the prayers for the upcoming administration for President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in that administration and that you would even allow uh, voices of faith to come in and speak and do that prophetic speaking um, and expressing those concerns that we raised. Lord, but I do pray um, for your church. I pray, Lord, that we will set you as our priority that we will cling to you even more tightly, Lord, in knowing that you are our hope. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>